Wolfpack Ninja Podcast, Episode 21, Mike Bernardo, The King's Salmon. Welcome to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm Megan Martin. And I'm Ian Dory. I'm Brian Arnold. And I'm Noah Kaufman, The Ninja Doc. Thanks for joining our weekly conversation about health, fitness, and all things Ninja Warrior. We will be interviewing all of the top American Ninja Warrior stars, and we encourage you to visit our website, www.wolfpackninjas.com. And kids, you can get your free Wolfpack Ninja Cub certificate there. If you like our podcast, please share, subscribe, and like on iTunes. Also, give us a follow on our social media. We're always posting new content, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Together, we can make the world a healthier and happier place. So join us. Hey, what's up, listeners? This week on Wolfpack Podcast, we have... Mike Bernardo. No way. (laughs) Mike's on? He's good, man. He brings excitement. Oh, is that him texting us? Nice. Sorry, let me shut my phone off, guys. That's like I broke the uh, one of the rules here when we're podcasting. I had left my phone on. Everybody knows Mike. He's the consummate competitor and super fan. He has a bromance with Ryan Stratus, which is legendary. And the two are actually like incredible ninjas. They're really, really good ninjas. And he also is like the salmon ladder master. All of us were just, it was so unbelievable. And we're going to try and let this show out when he is on the Salmon Ladder because I think it's one of the most impressive things in the Ninja Warrior history to see what he did on this, how high was it? 30 feet? 30 foot or 40 foot Salmon Ladder. I think it was 40 yeah. foot. I think salmon. it was 40, yeah. 40 feet, yeah. 40 feet of Salmon Ladder. And that's like, and he just, like a machine gun. They call him Machine Gun Mike. And he was dot, 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 doing the Salmon Ladder up this thing. It was unbelievable. So that's going to be on the skills show. We'll have a link to the video because I'm 100% positive they're going to have a video. He dominated it. He won it. And Ian, you tried that 40-foot salmon ladder, right? Didn't they have you test it? Yeah. No, I tested the 40-foot salmon ladder and Mm -hmm. uh, got spanked. So bad respect to uh, how quickly he did it. And he didn't slow down at all. No. Tack, 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 tack. And then he was at the top and he's like... Full energy and yeah, ready to go. fish, fish, pasta. Yeah, fish, ex- fish, pasta. Yeah, <laughs> that was incredible. Respect. Yeah, <laughs> crazy respect for Mike Bernardo. But you know what? A lot of people don't realize is he is firefighter EMS, and so he sees the rawest, most crazy parts of humanity out in the field, and then he brings those people to me in the emergency department. But let me tell you, we talked quite a bit about how crazy his job is, and he talked about being like a social mobile worker. And so he has all these incredible stresses of work that he has to contend with. And I know what that's like, but it's an intense job. Yeah, it's like this crazy juxtaposition where on the TV side of the show, you you see this like really happy, energetic dude. But then he sees all this like crazy stuff in his life. So it's like both sides of the spectrum. It's really interesting. People shot and stabbed. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, gosh. I think he's a very interesting character because there's so many different sides to him. And I feel like... With the show, we only really know the one side, so it'll be cool to you know learn a little bit more about him. I'll tell you guys right now, I was excited to see Mike do well because he's a first responder, and everyone wants he's a you know he's, he's a firefighter. firefighter. He's yeah, a hero. everyone wants to see see the firefighters do well, and traditionally they haven't. I think it's just a testament to Mike's passion. He is passionate about Ninja Warrior, and it shows through because he trains hard. He totally does. Like we said before, he's a super fan. And so it's nice to see somebody who's so passionate about being a ninja do really well. Because we've, we've all seen him on like a balance obstacle fail. And that that's kind of crushing, you know. So to actually watch him succeed and win at something, it's uh, it's cool to see that progression. Like failing and then breaking through and making and having success. Totally. Well, I'm really excited. How about you guys about hearing Mike Bernardo's interview? All right. Well, let's listen to Mike Bernardo. But first, a word from our sponsor who helps make this podcast possible. Thanks so much for listening. Let's do it. As Mike would do it. (laughs) Fish, fish, pasta. Fish, fish, pasta. Fish, fish, pasta. Fish, fish, pasta. So today we have one of the really 
cool veterans of American Ninja Warrior. We have the Salmon Ladder Master. We have Mike Bernardo. He's he's 36 and a half almost. He's a firefighter in Washington, D.C., where he's flying solo. And he's been doing American Ninja Warrior since season two in 2010. So this guy is like a veteran's veteran. And uh, he's a ninja's ninja. Everybody's jaw drops when he does the Salmon Ladder. He's a great guy. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks. No. Yeah, it's good to have you. Finally, uh, we finally got to do this. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And, you know, there was a while there, I'd say, in the beginning when, you know, you, me, Ryan, Stratus, kind of like internet, Facebook, kind of kind of like, you, you know, calling each other out about stuff, not knowing each other that well. And, uh, you know, we're kind of the new guys. And uh, first, I want to apologize for all the nonsense. You have since become a true brother. And uh, I love you, man. Oh no, it's cool. I I uh it's it's kind of part of I don't want to say it's uh, I mean it's it's kind of the culture of my profession, you know, a bunch of guys around all the time and you're always like taking shots at each other and kind of, you know, seeing where everybody's uh buttons are that you can push and you know, it's 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 usually all in good fun. I don't know. It, it's uh, it's it's really hard to get an idea of people's personalities in just from you know stuff that they write. You know, totally. Until you until you really get to know somebody, things can come off totally wrong just on on the page. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so that's that's probably all that was. Well, tell us a little bit about your about your job and about your profession. What do you, what do you do in Washington D.C.? I'm a firefighter paramedic on the record. For Washington D.C. Fire and EMS, eighty-five percent of that fire is actually EMS. I've been a paramedic for what year is this? Twenty sixteen, I guess thirteen years. Wow! I've worked in emergency departments. I've worked on interfacility transports. I've done nine one one for uh, another department back in the Cleveland area where I grew up. After I got laid off there, I uh, I went on another exhaustive country spanning search for you know the the right department and uh ended up you know a lot of a lot of setbacks a lot of dead ends but uh, i ended up getting picked up by dc in 2010 and you know it was my first time away from my family and and friends that i grew up with and everything so it was it was interesting but i've been you know, I, I feel like i've been making the best of it out here so yeah, I've I've actually worked. I've done a trauma rotation for a few months at Baltimore Shock Trauma in in Maryland, and so I know that area of the country, and I know what you're dealing with. Why, why yeah. don't you tell people what you're seeing, like on a day in day out basis, and, and what you're actually doing? Ooh, that's a big can of worms to open up. It is, but but people don't know, and you know, I think they should. Well, I can I can only speak from my own experience. I mean, I've I've worked in two different areas. Uh, one was Cleveland, Ohio, and the other is um, Washington D.C. And yeah, it's 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 definitely it's it's challenging in ways that you know years and years ago when I decided to do this, I hadn't anticipated it would be. I think the the public perception of fire of fire departments, you know, is that. You know, you're always saving babies and and running in and out of burning buildings and putting out fires, and that's there. We still do that. The more years that have gone by, and technology has improved with building construction and fire prevention and fire suppression and alarm systems, and um, you know, the materials around the house aren't you know going to burst into flames if you sit on them for too long anymore. And we've we've transitioned to become primarily a EMS service for. You know, medical emergencies, trauma emergencies, accidents, injuries, illnesses. And in doing so, in the types of environments that I've worked in, in uh, East Cleveland, Ohio, and Southeast D.C., and, and uh, other places all around the country like Baltimore, Chicago, New York, St. Louis, anywhere you can name, it's kind of become a catch-all for the the problems that don't have any other solution in you know, troubled communities. A lot of times, you know, you feel like a, how do I put this? You know, I, I, I had said earlier, you feel kind of like a mobile social worker, like you're, you know, you're coming into this, this uh, troubled situation and you're trying to understand what's going on in these people's lives and 
what led them to be calling you for help at this hour or whatever. And it's, it's been definitely been an interesting challenge, but it's one that I've felt good about being able to be part of the solution to. Now, I, I mean, it's got pluses and minuses. You feel like there's so much more you want to be able to do to keep these things from happening. There's just a huge, it's, it's such a huge animal to tackle, such a huge problem to tackle. Right. That is, you know, it's got its roots in history and social, you know, social issues and, you know, public policies that have created these types of situations for people. And the only thing that I can do is take myself and try to put myself in their shoes and say, well, if this was happening to you, how would you feel and how would you react and where would you be looking for help? And, you know, it's it's easy for people in our position to get jaded. But uh, no, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I'm in emergency medicine. I I struggle with being jaded and cynical quite quite a bit. What 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 percentage of your job would you say do you see like trauma or really bad things that have happened to people? Um, it uh, it varies. I mean, it's yeah. I I worked in a trauma center in East Cleveland for seven years um, before I came down to DC, and I also worked for their fire department, and it's. You know, anything that you can think of can happen does. Um, and, you know, depending on where you work, you see different different things more frequently. And you know, there, there was a, a lot of you know what they call the knife and gun club, a lot of, you know, the assaults and stabbings and shootings and those kind of things. And they had similar things happen in D.C. I mean, D.C., I've been told used to be a lot worse. I mean, in the 90s, I think they, they called it the murder capital for a number of years. And there's there still are a lot of troubled areas uh, that we work in, you know. In in our position, there's only so much you can do. And I, sometimes, you know, people say, "Oh, you're saving lives, you're making a difference." And I I like to think that I am at times. Um, and then there's other times where you you get really down on the fact that you know you're continually sent to the same things, and you only have you know a certain amount of time to do what you can, and it, you end up feeling more like I, I say we're janitors of human misfortune like somebody calls for the cleanup on aisle five or you know we're, we're going out for the shooting on you know benning in minnesota or whatever again and it's like i want to keep it from happening so i don't because once it happens all i can do is you know the things that i can do and it's too late yeah it's you know for me seeing all the trauma over the years it eats you up a little bit inside to see human beings treating other human yeah. beings like that or just seeing the misfortune that's out there. I, I think that, I mean, do you think you have any elements of like, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder or anything from everything you've seen over the years? Or do you think it's it's shaped your personality? Oh, I mean, it's the the stress of, the stress of the job is, you know, it's a mixture of that, the constant stress from the position you're in. I'm the only paramedic usually on scene. So there's paramedics and EMTs. All the firefighters are at least EMTs, which is the more basic level of training and education and scope of practice. And then above that is paramedic. The way my department is set, there'll be one one paramedic per house that has a, an advanced life support unit. And you're basically in charge on all the calls um, and everybody's, you know, kind of looking for to you for what to do. And when something has happened to someone and they're, you know, literally dying in front of you, or there's, there's, you know, 10 things that you need to be doing right now. And it's all on you. That, that definitely wears on you after a while. You know, it's like anything else. It's, it's the challenge that you want to rise to the occasion and meet that gives you strength and, you know, good feelings and other things that you do. But it's, it, it does take a very real toll on you. And I, I'm sure you can relate with the, uh, you know, at least the sleep disturbances that the kind of work that we do causes on your training and your recovery and your, your energy and everything. It's true, especially as we get a little bit older. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I keep I keep looking to Travis and you and, and some other guys. I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm 36. I can't keep up with these 21-year-olds and all that. And it's, it's like, well, as long as they're doing it, I got to keep doing it. I can't, I can't tap out yet. So how do you think uh, your job has affected your perception, you know, when you're about to run the course on Ninja Warrior? Do you think it's helped you or hurt you at all? Or? Uh, I think I, I wish that it has helped me more than it has. I feel like 
I wish sometimes that I could go into the mode that I snap into automatically when I walk in a room and I see, you know, you, you do that, that quick look and it's like, are they sick? Are they not sick? Are they about to die? Right. You know, you, you do your size up of a building or whatever. And you immediately, no matter if it's three in the morning, you were just asleep 10 minutes earlier, or if it's, you know, 7am, you know, your first call of the day or whatever, immediately you just go into that autopilot and you start doing stuff and saying, you know, giving orders and, and start, you know, doing what you need to do for this particular situation. I feel like I overthink way more with, with Ninja Warrior, which is funny because it, no one's actually in danger. I'm not in danger. Yeah. My crew's not in danger. Nobody's dying in front of me, but it's like, uh, I've only got this one chance and I can't screw up. And, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. Why am I here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it has helped some. I, I know the, you know, like we said, the stress and the the sleep deprivation and everything from the job definitely makes, you know, being a, a quote unquote athlete a lot more trying and a lot more difficult than the guys who, you know, that's all they do is they, you know, they train and they, they eat and they sleep and they live an athlete's lifestyle. And I, I'm definitely very, you know, I envy those guys for, for being able to do that, that kind of thing. I, I imagine it works great <laughs> when you're, yeah. you know, you're getting good sleep and it's regular and your body's like gets into a good rhythm. It's, but for us, it's like every third day or every fourth day or whatever, you're, you're doing an all nighter again. Right. It's like you never really get into that rhythm, and you got to find those moments in between. That's why Chena, the, the friend who I live with, she's always like, "Oh, you know, you, do you wear anything? Do you ever wear anything other than workout clothes?" And I'm like, "Oh, I got where I'm actually going to feel up to doing something, and I got to jump on it immediately. I got to be ready." I'm like, I'm just, I'm just walking around in whatever I train in all day, and uh, suddenly it'll hit me, and I'm like, "All right, go, 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 do it, do it, do it." It's true. Yeah, I, I work out in scrubs pretty frequently. <laughs> At home, you know, it's, I'm not that guy at the gym yeah. in scrubs, but how much does Ninja Warrior mean to you? It seems like it's been a big part of your life since 2010. Yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, it definitely has become a big part of my life. I mean, you know, it's it's something that has, how can I say, it's something that has been able to rekindle, you know, a lot of good feelings and and drives and things that sometimes get, you know, they get lost in your day-to-day your day-to-day routine and and your work and your stress and everything and for me it's it's anything that I don't know it's it's ta- it's really been something that has been able to take me mentally to good places places like when I'm when I'm down and I'm tired and I'm I'm stressed out from work and I'm you know in all these existential crises about what I'm doing with my life and what uh, you know if anything I'm doing matters and it's like just being able to go to that place and be around, you know, these really positive people that are all motivated in the same goal. And it's something that can always snap me out of whatever hole I've been in. And, you know, it's been amazing. I've been all over the world uh, chasing this thing and I've met all kinds of people and been doing things that there's no way I would have ever done otherwise. I mean, I, there's always other things I would have been involved in other things, but this has been, this has definitely been a unique opportunity. Absolutely. I, I can't see anything else that, you know, me as a guy with a regular job and a regular life and, you know, those kind of things, you know, it's been an amazing experience for me. And tell us about some of the friends you've made and, and some of the relationships you've that have come out of Ninja Warrior. Who who are your close friends? And tell us a little bit about them. I guess I'd kind of put it into a number of different groups. I mean, I've, I've definitely got more friends since I've been doing Ninja Warrior than I've probably had combined any other point in my life yeah it's uh i've always been something that probably doesn't come across and when i'm on the show and competing in the you know the way i appear you know when i'm in super you know anime guy mode and pro wrestling jumping around screaming mode is yeah i've always been kind of you know introverted and awkward with people that i'm not familiar with and so i i always had like a tight group of friends but it was always small and it was it was always really difficult for me to to get to know people because I, I have kind of a standoffish hard to approach appearance from uh, just just from you know shyness and and overthinking what i'm doing and, and how, how i'm being perceived and everything probably a lot probably a lot of that was from when i was little and when i was you know i was literally until about 17 when i my body finally decided to try and catch up with everybody yeah i mean it's it's been great for that i've i've you know, some of my best friends now 
our guys that I've met doing this, guys and gals that I've met doing uh, the ninja stuff. I think I really clicked with a lot of the people initially. And back when it was on G4, I met up with some of the guys like Ryan Stratus and David Campbell and Chris Wolcheski and um, among others. And I think something that kind of a lot of us had in common was we came to Ninja Warrior through seeing it on G4 and G4 was like the, the gamer tech TV channel. So a lot of us that first, we first discovered Ninja Warrior accidentally through our, you know, our love of gaming and Japanese culture and everything. And so we had a lot in common when we linked up with, you know, other guys that had come to it in the same way. You know, I think, I think that's why me and Stratus are such good buddies is because I, I was, uh, I was adopted and I was adopted in this from the South. Um, I was born in Alabama and I, uh, I'm always joking with, with him, with other people that, you know, asking if his mom had any kids, uh, before, you know, whatever <laughs> year he was born. Was there were like brothers that had gotten separated at birth or something. And it continued to expand from there. I mean, every every year it's gotten bigger and bigger and I've I've been to more places. I think we we had a pretty good community up here in the northeast. I mean, between DC, Baltimore, Philly, uh, New York and Boston. I mean, it's there's tons of people doing it over here and it, you know, a lot of us came together at you know, for a while there. I think Chris Wolcheski was one of the only people with you know, an actual dedicated ninja gym. And he, uh, you know, there were a, a whole bunch of us that just kept getting together there at his uh, warrior lab. And now I think now it's called the movement lab. Um, but all those guys from the Philly area and New York and Baltimore, we just got really close, you know, through this. So Will Chesky's and Jamie Ron and the Galzinski brothers and Mike Needham and uh, all the other guys from DC, Adam Grossman, Chris Ganji. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been cool. I mean, I, I've, you know, like I said, I can't imagine how I would, uh, have met all these people doing anything else. Yeah. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about how you've had to deal with, you know, failure or success on, on the course. Tell, tell us about the failure that you've had that that's, you know, that's hurt and what you've done with it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've, I've definitely had some, uh, some rough goes out there. I think you know, the one that was definitely the worst was the the St. Louis fall with the the goofy technique on the uh, the bridge of blades because it was you can't be faulted for giving your best and you know coming up short. You know when you when you do something stupid, you know, and you don't trust yourself and you end up going against your gut and it blows up in your face like that. That's I think that's the worst kind of failure. Things that are possible for you, you end up you know, overthinking and screwing yourself over on it. It's something that is part of any competition. It's part of life. And it's something that, you know, we've all talked about at one point or another, just being able to ride out that storm of disappointment and, and angst and anger, upset, you know, all these feelings and be able to turn it back around and say, all right, I'm not going to let that happen again. You know, I'm not, I'm not walking away. I'm not going to, throw up my hands and quit or anything, you know, I want, I want another shot at it. And I think that's something that every year that I've gotten invited back, I've, I've been a mixture of surprised and, you know, grateful because I see how, how many people there are that really want to do this and how big it's become. And in these types of shows, how unprecedented it is that this many people are able to get this many chances. And I've always kind of viewed myself as a really good average guy. I've never, I've never, <laughs> I've never seen myself. I've never really been able to see myself as like one of the top guys. And I've, I'm always surprised when, you know, somebody comes to me, Oh, you know, you're, you're one of the best or whatever. And I was like, really? I, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I know I've been doing better, but, uh, you know, I, there's times where I feel like I could do better. Other times where I'm surprised that I did as well as I did. But I think it's, you know, for me, it's, it's just, no matter what happens, I'm going out there and I'm trying to do the best that I can. I've said before that it, it is symbolic for me. You know, I take away from this, you know, the, the experiences that I have and the different techniques that I learned for dealing with the pressure and dealing with the stress and the, the ups and downs and everything. And 
it really does it really is translatable to other parts of your life and if you don't have those things you know it, it can be very easy to really get down when things get tough yeah it's really easy to get down on yourself to get down on the situation if you have if you have failures but then at the same time you know people have told you you're one of the best and you know mike you've gotten deep into stage 2 i mean you've gone further than most ninjas have ever gone i mean you know people most people would be happy just to get to vegas and actually just about every ninja considers you by far the best salmon ladder master in maybe in the world it's really incredible mm-hmm. so i mean you're kind of the top guy there so so mike t- what's it like and tell us a little bit about that and why are you so good at it uh i don't know i i just i always really liked that obstacle and it was it's it's something that i guess i just happened upon a a technique that works for me something that's efficient and safe i guess it kind of came from a mixture of things. It was, I've had a lot of shoulder problems from when I used to lift real heavy and then started doing all of this stuff that my body just had no idea what it was doing with. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've had some rotator cuff problems and, and things. And when I first started training for uh, Ninja Warrior on actual salmon ladders a couple of years ago, I, I had a lot of pain with any kind of straight arm, like where you're at extension. Yeah in my shoulders. Cause I think, I think I had a uh, torn labrum. I would always out of pain. I would always kind of come up a little higher than a lot of people did. And I wasn't really able to do, you know, I, I got into kind of the kipping motion that a lot of people were doing and it just seemed kind of out of control. Like it, especially once they started going to metal rungs, there was, it seemed like the more swing you had, the more danger you had of slipping out. Right. The other thing was I, you know, like I said before, I was kind of one of the heavier guys for doing this kind of thing. You know, like I've, I've always been kind of in the one eighties. I, I loved training this stuff. Like I loved, I loved it because I've, I've always had such a short attention span with a lot of different things. And it was like, Oh, I can run over here and do this. Now I'm running over here and doing this totally different thing. But I hadn't really put in the reps on like really building up my, my grip endurance, you know, like a lot of the climbers had, and so I had to I had to learn to get through things fast because I was failing stuff because I I just didn't have the endurance to hold my weight for that long. So I was like, how can I get this so I'm not falling, I'm not hurting my shoulder, you know, I'm not burning out. Right. And I was like, I gotta be I gotta be fast and I gotta be controlled. I think I owe a lot of my technique to Alan Keneally because I had seen somebody do it similar to the way that I do it now on one of the Japanese guys' videos, they were just doing fast, fast, fast. I was like, oh my God, there's no way I could ever do that. You know, I don't, right. I probably, I weigh, I weigh twice as much as that guy. That must, that's just, that's just like a weight thing. And then I saw Alan do it similarly. I was like, well, if he's doing it, there's no reason why I can't do it. What's going on here? And, you know, I kind of combined those things together to, to get to the, the way that I do it now. And I, I definitely don't think that I'm, exceptional in in strength or or in or (laughs) right i don't know know, man i i can't do a ton of pull-ups you know i can't how many pull-ups can you do it's oh geez i don't even know it's it it varies depending on how much i've had to eat and how exhausted i am but anymore i I haven't really been repping out pull-ups regularly i mean i've been doing a lot more of the right uh dead hanging and, and lock offs and things like that. And traversing, uh, with bent arms and things. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that was, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's for me, it's just like, it doesn't even feel like a pull up anymore. It's, it's more of a, you know, I was, it's like a little movement. Yes. I, I, I liken it to slamming a window shut. Yeah. Um, and you, you just never, never take yourself out of that power zone. When I when I've been coaching people with it at a lot of these events, you know, you see people they they come all the way up and they do a, like a full chin up, their chest over the bar, and, and then they go all the way down and stretched out, and it's that all of that is energy that you have to expend that's not getting this bar up. Right, right. So for me, it was just like find a spot where you feel the most powerful and stay there, you know, and then just generate the force to take your your weight off of it for a second, just move it as far as you need it to go. And just use 
you know, use the power of it slamming in there to propel you to the next one. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's worked pretty good for me. What was it like to get to the top of that thing and hang at the top? I'll tell you, I didn't think when, when they actually raised that thing up and we walked out there that night, Yeah, I was like, how in the world am I going to get to it? Cause I had never done one that big and I, I hadn't really been training it the way that I used to. It was like, it was actually me and James McGrath one day before we left, we were like, you know, cause most of them were like four or five moves and it's like, so you just, you do it and then you jump down and then you put a bar back on and you do it again and you jump down. And I really didn't get as many rungs as the one that we were, we're going to be doing one. So I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And then, you know, we had a couple of the guys that I consider to be some of the top guys doing it. Like James tested it. And yeah. Travis Rosen tested and it. Ian, and Ian. Ian tested yeah. it. Yeah. And I saw them and I was like, Jesus, these guys aren't making, I'm not going to be able to do this thing. <laughs> and I was like, I, I weigh 180 pounds. I probably, I probably, uh, you know, ate half of that in ice cream over the last week. There's no way I'm getting up this thing. And I, you know, once they, once we all got together and they, they brought us over and, and did all the, the rules and everything, getting ready for it, I was like, you know what? Some, a bunch of people mentioned your name as the guy to do this thing. And they, they threw you a bone letting you do it when Stratus said he didn't want to do it. So you got to do this. You know? so I, <laughs> I just, I just went into like, I used to wrestle. So I, right. I used to, you know, have, uh, I put the headphones in and, and get the, uh, the aggro tunes going and just, I hadn't been able to get into that level of intensity in, you know, any of the other competitions because it's like, yeah, I'm angry. I'm mad, but that's not going to help me if I trip on something or I slip or whatever. Right. This was just like, just beat the crap out of this thing and get to the top. (laughs) So I just like a half hour, I was pacing back and forth and I was sitting, I was looking at it and I was getting pumped up and, yeah, I, I know. I, I saw you took a picture of me sitting yeah. there uh, staring at. It. I was just like, <laughs> it's so yeah, awesome. So I, I didn't know. I didn't think I was gonna be able to do it. But once I got to the top, I was like, you know, you look down and everybody's cheering and everything. I was like, oh man, I can't believe I made it up here. And they, they, they had me go first. Uh, so there was kind of a lot of pressure there. Right. So it was like, you know, you're the guy that they're talking about doing this, and if you screw up and somebody else does it, you're gonna look kind of silly. So you better get up this thing. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, we were all down there and we were freaking out. We were and we were we were there with you, man. It's like all of Ninja, you know, when we're like, oi, 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 oi. I mean, we're we're like we we're like trying to push you up with our with our vibe, and yeah. uh, and it was pretty cool, you know. It's like all of Ninja. It's you, you know when you see a brother or a sister succeed. You you feel a little bit of that success yourself. It's kind of like your family. You're. It, it's kind of like s- someone who's really close just did something great, and yeah. and so it was a a really big moment for all of us because I think without you, it's clear that without you, that thing might it would not have gotten beat. So, so you know you you repped us really well, Mike. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, I live I live to serve. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's funny, and we know it's true. We know that's pretty much your uh, your motto. Um, I felt lucky that my name was even mentioned to do that because originally they didn't have me doing it. It was going to be Dusty Lance, Casey, and Stratus. And Strat had he had kind of a nagging injury that had gotten aggravated in Vegas, and so he wasn't feeling so good. And he also just had failed the the double salmon ladder in stage two. So he was feeling, you know, kind of down about that. And he knew that, you know, I was kind of chomping at the bit to get a, to get a shot at that thing ever since we saw that it was going to be there. When they announced who it was going to be, he, you know, he went up to him and was like, Hey, I, I appreciate you guys giving me this chance, but you know, I've, I've got this injury and I, I really don't feel like I deserve, you know, a shot at this thing having just failed it. But you know, he kind of passed the ball to me, and, and I, I know I know my name was on the list. Like I was, if I was gonna, I was gonna be one of the people considered for it. But uh, you know, when when he when he kind of handed the the ball off to me, they were like, "Okay, Bernardo, give it a shot." I was like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> what a good friend! Wow, yeah. what a great guy Stratus is. Tag team. <laughs> so tell us tell us a little bit about the uh, the the slap on the back. What's the origins of that, and uh, what do you guys yell? You know when you do it, and and what's that all about? 
Uh, the the back slap was a a thing that we got from two of the the Sasuke All Stars, uh, Makoto Nagano and Toshihiro Takeda. They were guys that were similar, like best friends on the on the course and everything. And beforehand, and I, I I don't know who did it to who first, but I I think it was Nagano used to get really really nervous when he'd be standing up there waiting to go. And uh, it was kind of a thing to just, you know, focus and clear all of that negative energy out. I experienced it the first time I got up there, AW two, like the the fifteen minutes or so before I went, I'd gone from so excited to be there and so, feeling so lucky and feeling like I was on top of the world that I'm actually going to get to do this thing too. I want to run away. I don't want to do this. Why do I like this? You know, it's like there's yeah. so much like I'm going to fall on this and this is going to happen. And I'm going to fall on my face and everyone's going to laugh at me. And blah. I'm going to go back home and the guys that I work with will be like, why would you take all this time off to fall on the first thing? And, blah, blah. and you got all of this stuff just making you dizzy. And, you know, that that slap on the back and the yelling and everything, it came from that. It's like it clears it all out and, you know, just, just totally refocus you. And that, that was actually how I started doing the yelling on my own at the beginning because uh, we had uh, in Baltimore season five, I had, I had really gotten into that state, that, that kind of bad mind state. We, they never show it on the, on the show, but there's a lot of times where we've had, we've gotten rained out. Like, and we've ended up having to postpone the, the tryouts till the next night and end up doing both rounds on the, on the same night. And, you know, it, it had just really gotten into my head and, you know, the weather and everything and the, the delays and all the things that I didn't need to be thinking about, I was focusing on. And I got up there and I was just like, you know, it, it just, it just kind of came on suddenly. Like I hadn't planned to do it. It was just like, I was, I was going through that negative negative self-talk swirling and I was just like no forget this you know this this is something that I love to do and something that you know I've, I've put a lot of time in I'm not gonna let this take me out right now and so it just just out of nowhere I just started channeling that you know that that excitement from the uh that I would always get watching the Japanese show and I just screamed out I was like exactly <laughs> well what is what is that I mean is that just nonsensical is it is it Japanese is it Yes, it's uh, it's kind of like a tough guy way of saying "here I go" or "let's go" or whatever. Because I think I think the the more formal way would be uh, "ikuzo." Yeah, um, uh, ikuzo. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a slangy way of saying it, and uh, I I'd, I'd kind of gotten it from uh, Asa Kazuma, one of the guys that uh, was on Team Japan coming over here, the one that they called the the crying gardener. <laughs> he's always he's crying no matter what's going on. He he wins, he loses. One of his friends wins or loses. You know he's ha- he's getting lunch. You know, he's <laughs> he's just a super passionate, super emotional guy. And uh, you know, I, I I kind of wished that I could just when I when I see that I was like, man, I want to feel that. I want to have that unbridled emotion that I'm not afraid to show or whatever. And it's like. You're not thinking about what people are thinking about. You're just like, this is me right now, and I'm here, and I'm doing this thing. And so it it all kind of just came from that. So there's a lot of kids out there who really look up to you and, you, you know, really look to you as a role model. They look to all of us as a role model. But, you know, you have a bunch of fans who really love Mike Bernardo. What What would you tell them as advice, you know, just in general for life or training or or, or whatever? What has been really helpful for you? Um, for me, I mean, the, the, the biggest things are, you know, not the biggest, the biggest things for me are just not giving up, not quitting. There's going to be plenty of times where you're doubting yourself and you're doubting your ability to get through things, whatever it is. And, you know, there's, there's been times where things look so tough or things get so bad that it just seems like it'd be easier to not do it or to, to give up or to do something else that would be, you know, there wouldn't be all this pressure or there wouldn't be this fear of failure or whatever. And it's, it's those times where you really have to just tune all of that out and say, no, I love this. And I, this means something to me and it's worth, it's worth the risk of failing at it to, you know, see if I can do this. And, you know, every time in my life where I've had another situation where I've gotten to that point where I'm like, this might be too much for me this time. I, I need to, I need to back off. I need to go back you know, I can't do this. It's just like, you have to do this. You know, you've trained for this, you know, you've gone to school for this, you've put all this effort and time into this, this, this meant something to you. 
and it's going to mean something to you again once you're through. So it's my biggest advice is to just never give up in anything that you do. I mean, obviously, there's times where if you're doing if you're going down the wrong path, you need to reevaluate and say, all right, things aren't working out so well this way. And I need to find something else to some other way of of, uh, acting or, or being or whatever. But you just have to keep pushing through at all times. It seems like when you have your failures in life and when you fail, it kind of gets easier to fail and less of a risk every time you do fail. You, you, you know, oh, that wasn't that bad. I mean, I failed, but life goes on. I can, I get another shot or, you know, or, or, or if I don't, I can refocus on something else. And have you found that to be true, that the, the risk of failure is kind of diminished over time when you experience those failures? I mean, each each situation is a new beast. You know, it's a new thing to tackle. But, you, you know, like you said, the more you get out there and face these fears and doubts and, and you know, overcome your shortcomings and everything, I think the more tools you have in your toolkit for dealing with unexpected challenges in the future, even if they're not the same thing you were doing, just mental habits and, and emotional responses and everything that you're you're fine tuning to be be able to get through things that you're not expecting. That's it's never never a bad thing to can to keep seeking new challenges. You know, you're you're never gonna you can't go wrong with that. What do you do for nutrition or do you focus on any kind of nutrition stuff or I I am probably one of the worst people to ask about the nutrition <laughs> things. <laughs> so you're just like, plain I, lucky. For me, for me that's another one of the struggles. It's uh you know, for me, like, you know, like I said before, when I was younger, I was little and I wanted to get bigger, you know, so it was eat all the time, lift heavy. I, I don't want to be a scrawny guy. I want to get bigger. That's what, you know, that's what being tough is, being big, strong guy, whatever. And then, you know, that was fine for, you know, other things that I do. And like when I was younger, I played football and I, I did wrestling. Well, wrestling was a whole different animal with the dieting or whatever, but the mindset that I had for training for fire and rescue things where, you know, it it pays to be kind of heftier and like you're lifting people, you're smashing through doors, you got heavy equipment, you know, you're, you're heavily encumbered by gear. It pays to be a little bit beefier. Um, and then I got into this and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, this is the first thing where I've been one of the bigger guys, you know? And, and it's like every, I, I keep saying like every ounce counts. Right. And when you're when you're hanging by your fingers, it doesn't help to have huge pecs, you know, or or gigantic biceps that are right. not doing anything for you. And it's like, so I've I've really had to change a lot of things, you know, about my diet and my activity. And I'm I'm still really kind of struggling with it, but I I definitely recognize you know the utility in it. I changed a lot about my diet once I started doing my job. Once I got into emergency medical services and everything, because. I saw the end result of a you know lifetime of bad dietary habits. Like a, you know everybody, it seemed like where I worked, everybody over the age of thirty five had high blood pressure. They had diabetes. They had coronary artery disease. They'd had multiple strokes. You know, kidney failure. Everything, and you know a lot of it was just bad diets, low activity, and all that. And I, I you know, things that I used to eat every day, I, I won't even you know, look at now. So, yeah. Yeah. So the job has helped shape, you know, seeing firsthand what it, what it does to you if you're not eating a healthy diet has kind of had an impact on you just because you want to stay away from having those problems. Absolutely. I mean, it, you only get one, of you only get one body and, you know, you got to take care of it because it's, you know, we, we live a lot longer than we used to and things add up, you know, for, for me, what I'm doing is is typically a young man's job, and I got into working in D.C. I didn't I didn't start working here till I was 30, so I'm going to be in my upper 50s, almost 60s, when I'm up for retirement. And uh, you know, I can't be I can't be doing this if I'm you know huffing and puffing and you know 300 pounds and you know my my heart's screaming at me every time I walk up a step and you know so I I really got to take care of it, and I, I could definitely do a better job than I have been doing. But, 
it's it's all part of the journey. Absolutely, and it's always good to to be able to think that there's room for improvement in everything that you do. Because if you if you're comfortable and you settle for where you're at, then there's no need to kind of move forward. And I, I think that's true for everything. Tell us a little bit. Now you've been part of you know Ninja Warrior and and Sasuke really for quite a, a while. And what was it like last year to see these two guys finish the course? To see the course go down. What what was that like for you personally? It was uh, it was pretty amazing. I mean, it was, it was unprecedented in the history of, well, obviously the American version because no one had beaten it, but Japanese version, which has been around for thirty two, se- well, thirty one seasons now, and never were there two winners in the same season. So it was it was exciting. I mean, it it I uh, you know I looked at that third stage, and you know I, I there were definitely guys that I knew could do it. But it's it's just having that not screwing up and you know having everything fire when it needs to, and then to see two guys get to the final stage and get it under the time limit was just out of control. And it was really cool to be there. And it, I think it definitely took a lot of us, and I think it even took uh, NBC by surprise that that happened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I think everybody was, oh my God, there's a race at the rope. What, what, what is happening? This is crazy. I think NBC has kind of always been surprised at the camaraderie because, you know, it's kind of billed as a, the toughest obstacle competition and they, they have a competition element they try and put into it. But for all the ninjas, for all of us, it's, you know, we want to see someone get up the course. We want to do it. Some, we, we got to beat this thing. We got to beat the course. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, there is a competition finally you know it, it because it, it there never really was quite as much of a competition yeah you got you want to make the top 15 to make it to vegas and but it's not like you're competing against one person and it, it was kind of fascinating to see the gears switch and see this you know i mean what was fundamentally just a, a 50 meter you know 50 yard dash for a million dollars yeah now, I don't know if you've heard, but this year they're going to change that. And apparently, if two people complete it, they're going to split the prize money. Did you hear that? I think I – I mean, I always, you always hear rumors, but I, I think I saw a uh, someone – I'll just say yes, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's great. I mean, for me, it was – you know, we're all trying to – it's always been we're all trying to get to the end. Right. You know, it's – you know, when you go down, then, you know, you're cheering your buddies on, you're cheering the other guys on. And it's, you know, failure is the norm, you know. So it's like when somebody when somebody gets past, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, and, you know, multiple people get to stage four, you, know, you really want to see them do well. And, you know, it's when you get to that point, it's it's not, you know, I, I never really felt like it was a, a competition at that point. It's like, I don't know, there's there's. There's a couple of different ways to look at it. There's the the official the official rules say yes, there can only be one winner of the money. It's going to come down to the rope climb. Right. And we all understood that. We all always, you know, they've been they've been saying that for years. It it makes sense to have one winner of of, you know, any type of televised competition. It's what people understand. I think that's part of why Team Ninja Warrior was so I feel more you know, easily relatable to people from a an immediate like competition standpoint is it's one on one. They're trying to get to the end first. There's there's one winner of each round. Right. Yeah, but it wasn't a competition. You know, for the ninjas, kind of there. We wanted to see both of them do it. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, once once you get into the the later stages, it's it's amazing to see somebody be able to do it. You know, you're not expecting people to do it because it's been you know, it's been taking everybody out for seven seasons now. I, I think you know this. These iterations of stage three have been some of the hardest that have ever been. Right. So you know, it's it was it was great to see you know two guys get through, and Ian almost made it through too. Yeah, he did. And it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. What, what do you th- what do you think they're gonna do this year? As far as making the course harder, you think they're gonna make it harder? I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see, I've already kind of seen some of the obstacles that they put up for Atlanta, but I, I'd really like to see 
a clean slate. Like I'd like to see all new stuff. I know that's not going to happen, but right. I know now that's not going to happen. But you know that that's part of that was part of the excitement of you know in the past when there's been winners is they they've always like gone back to the drawing board and threw a whole new course at you pretty much. Right, right. And that was that was like part of the the Christmas morning feeling of after somebody wins, like, oh, what are they going to come up with next? What's the new course going to be? Yeah. And we'd been seeing this one for so long that, uh, you know, you're really excited to see what else they got. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's as it gets, I don't know. I mean, for the sake of, you know, the, the TV game show aspect of it, where it's, you know, a lot of it is characters and stories being featured. I feel like they're not going to up the difficulty of the qualifiers too much, but they might really pour it on once you get to the finals. Right. But uh, we'll see. I mean, they've surprised us in the past. You never know. But I'm, I'm really excited to see what they got. So, Mike, if people want to follow you on, on social media, how, how can they do that? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on the... I'm on the Instagrams and the Twitters as FallRisk911. That's great. Um, that's great. <laughs> I think I think that's something that people ask me about a lot that uh, there hasn't been a good answer to because they haven't really kind of showed it on the show. They've, they've definitely asked me about it in interviews and stuff, but I think it's just kind of like, I don't know if they feel comfortable with it. Yeah. I The, the fall risk thing, I, I started wearing the wristband I think it was, yeah, I think it was shortly after my bad time in St. Louis in 2014. And oh, I didn't fall, know that. Yeah, fall risk wristbands, I mean, I'm sure you know what they are, but a lot of people don't. Right. It comes from hospitals, give them to people that are fall risks, people that are going to get up and might fall down and hurt themselves. So they give them to elderly people, they give them to the, the drunks that wander into the ER and... uh make everybody's lives miserable. Right. They, uh, yeah, things like that. And it's, it's, uh, when I started wearing it, it was kind of a, a joke in both directions. Like a, it was kind of a nod to people in my profession that, that thought it was cute that I was wearing the fall wristbands and something where, you know, you fail by falling and, it, you know, it was a nod to, you know, I'd, I'd kind of gotten known more for my falling than for, anything good that I have done up until that point. Like I had the one big face plant in Baltimore and then I had another pretty good face plant in Vegas that year. So it, it, it was funny because I, I became more known for that than, you know, like doing anything good. So I think, I think that's why I felt pretty psyched this year is I finally kind of broke, broke away from that uh, thing. And it, I was, oh, yeah. I was, I was wearing it for, you know, each of the each of the buzzers was going to be. I was going to take one of the wristbands off, I and mean, I actually did. And and uh, they just never ended up using it. Like they asked me about it on camera. They they asked. They did a whole bunch of close ups of the wristbands, and it was it ended up on the floor, on the cutting room floor. So right, as so much of the stuff does. There's <laughs> there's so many stories that the you know it, it's like someone chooses. Oh, we'll talk about this. We won't talk about this. But yeah, it's it's been interesting. No, I, I get it. Like, especially with having done so many of these tryout videos, like you want to use everything, but then you're like, ah, I've got this much time and this doesn't really advance the thing I'm trying to say as well. And this kind of takes away from that. And it's like, ah, I got to throw all this out. Whatever. Absolutely. Mike Bernardo, you're, you're a true ninja's ninja. You're a veteran OG ninja. You've inspired the wolf pack to train harder on the salmon ladder for sure. <laughs> and I think overall, you know, you convey a lot of messages of how to deal with failure very well and how to keep going and not quit. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of the show and uh, your, your true inspiration. Well, I thank you for having me. No, it's, it's been an honor. Well, the honor was all ours, Mike. And let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsors who make this show possible. Thanks for supporting them and supporting the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. Wow, what a great interview with Mike Bernardo. That was some awesome insight into his life. One of the things that I really like to hear someone else say was when he was talking about stepping up to the platform and just kind of being like, oh, God, I don't want to be here. I got to run away. This is too yeah. much. I understand how he feels because sometimes I feel like that. It's all of a sudden you feel all these nerves and the pressure and stuff. So it's hard to like 
keep your bearings and just, you know, relax and go. So it's interesting to hear some big dude kind of saying that, you know. Yeah, I like their approach, him and Ryan's yeah. approach. It's entertaining. Yeah, the back slaps. Yeah, I don't know if I would like that myself. Maybe we should try that this year. Yeah, it looks like it hurts. It looks like they do a little bit too hard. But what I do appreciate about that whole concept is when I step onto the stage and I'm looking at an obstacle, or in, in general, when I take a test at, at school or anything like that, I like to get really excited and those nerves kind of hit and I bring my energy back to about 80% and then I attack. Because I don't need 100% all the time. How do you do, do that, that, though? Good question. How I start is a deep breath. And then I recite a little mantra that I have. After I say my mantra, I feel about at 80% because I just remind myself I'm having fun, you know, I'm prepared, and then just go. Mike had some failures for a few years there. Yeah, he had some interesting ones too. Like he talked about even how, you know, on the Bridge of Blades, which is... <laughs> yeah, I remember that moment. Oh man, he, you know, you knew the moment he stepped off the platform, you're like, Oh, what is he doing? I was excited because I wanted to see someone do it that way. And he talked about the backstory, which was in that we didn't know as ninjas, but and that almost nobody knows, which is it had been raining a little bit. And, you know, that's there's a lot of behind the scenes mm. stuff. And so the testers had told him, apparently, there's these guys who run the course who are called the testers. And they run through the course and show you how to do it when they're going over the rules. We never get to play on the obstacles. And so we only get to really see it one time or when the other ninjas run. Yeah, they don't necessarily tell us how to do it. They they give of, suggestions and, and we give they do sometimes, demonstrations. Sometimes yeah. they'll demonstrate multiple ways, which is nice, but often it's just one way. So you have to think, okay, that's the way to do it until you see maybe another ninja do it another way. But to be a really good ninja, you really have to be ready for all scenarios. Like yeah. every season that I've competed, the course has been wet. It's been raining. There's been ice. Snow. It's freezing cold. <laughs> totally. you know, so you gotta be ready for all those and get your shoes wet when you're training, so you know what your you know your your coordination is like when you're slipping all over the place. But it's not really necessarily fair, but you have to just expect that because it's part of the game. Yeah, it absolutely is. The you know one thing also that struck me about Mike Bernardo was. This is a guy who seems like he's been, he's had demons, right? You know, he's, he talked very openly about how he's, you know, had trouble with being nervous up there. And, and we all have that and how he just wants to run away, but how sometimes he kind of overthinks things and he's, he kind of, you know, sits back and it takes quite a bit of confidence to go out there and really do this stuff. And so he's kind of overcome those demons He's, he's just worked on his weaknesses, and now he's the guy who can go out there, have a good time, even though he's really nervous, but still have fun and perform at a really high level. You know, that's interesting because I never even noticed that about him. And, but maybe that's why he didn't do so well for so many years, and then all of a sudden he got over that, and bam! Yeah. You got the machine gun mic. On the salmon ladder. <laughs> dot, yeah. dot, 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 dot. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And the things that he has to see in his everyday life... You know, when I see people come into the ER shot or stabbed, it, it's it's pretty heinous, you guys. I mean, it's... I can't imagine. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. You know, I go home and I think about it. I don't think about it in the moment. I just do. Yeah. But they, they come prepackaged by really skilled pre-hospital guys like Mike, who are total experts at saving people's lives. But he sees people in the middle of the street. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. You know, I've always thought that I probably suffer and maybe everybody who's in the healthcare field to some degree or another suffers with some kind of element of post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, like you see all this heinous stuff. I, I think that he's been able to compartmentalize his life into a ninja and the job that he does. And you can tell he's really passionate about the job that he does, but it takes its toll. And, and certainly nobody's immune from that. Well, thank you, Mike, and all you first responders yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Thank, thank you, you to the firefighters and the EMS. Unbelievable job that you guys do. And uh, it, it just right at the front lines. Yeah, thanks, Noah. Well, that's one of the reasons i am always been a Mike fan, and I always cheer him on when he gets up there. I want to see him do well. He wears that firefighter's outfit. He brings out the hat and everything. And that's who he is, you know? It's it's not a costume. But he didn't do it last year, remember? Because oh, he, he was didn't? so no, because he was so it was a big thing. He felt so ashamed of how he represented his firefighters oh, the year before yeah. when he messed up, so he didn't feel like he was 
like worthy of wearing the suit, which was like pretty emotional and like deep, you know. That's a that's very interesting. He, yeah, he did really well, which was awesome. And then he brought it back for Team Ninja Warrior. Yeah, mm. totally. Which he he did great. How about we do some tips? Sounds yeah. great. Tips. Aru, let's do it. Aru. Aru. One of my favorite training exercises to get ready for American Ninja Warrior is sprinting. If you live in the country, or on a country road, or just near some telephone poles, walk outside and walk the distance between them. That's how far you'll be sprinting. Start at one pole and sprint the full length, all the way to another pole, then walk back. Then, start from the same point and sprint two full lengths. Do this up to about, well, four poles or so. If you can, do this three times, three times a week. All right, guys, this week I wanted to talk about hand grippers. There's a, multiple styles out there and types. I've been using these, I think they're just the classical hand grippers that are ones they use in competition. They're like two bars separated by this um, spring, and you squeeze them together with your you know, your fingertips and your palm. They're, they're fun to do, and I started using them about two years ago, and I posted a video on YouTube under my account, um, Big Rocks. Um, you can get on there and look at my before and afters, and it's pretty dramatic. I had like a pretty sizable increase in strength in 30 days, and I was doing a typical strength training workout with low reps, multiple sets. I didn't see a huge gain in my climbing strength, and I've heard the same from other people. It's strengthening your hands and climbing is about sometimes squeezing hard. I, I find it fun too. So I recommend you guys get on and online and, and order yourself a pair. They're very inexpensive. I think for used about usually about 20 bucks you can get a pair. I use the GHP grippers and I, I really like them. I know there's some other good ones out there. They have whole forums. There's a whole community about hand strengthening and there's so many different exercises. It's fun. Get out there and Look up some of these exercises and do them and, and, and have fun, man. Today's tip from the Ninja Doc goes out to John Dory. Ian, that's your dad. And John wants to know about hydration and working out and performance, and I've got quite a bit to say about it, so here we go. Here's the thing. In your body, the mitochondria are these tiny elements within cells, these tiny machines that are the engines of the, of the cells, and they make energy. And the final receptor in this electron transport train, which is this big complex system, is water. And basically what that means is water is necessary for the creation of energy in your body. It's really important to stay hydrated. It's really important for all your tendons and ligaments. And here's something that's really interesting to know. Generally speaking, people recommend you have eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day. But I'd like to add something to that. Unless you're eating big salty meals, it's really important to have electrolytes along with that water. Muscles are dependent on sodium and potassium to be able to flex. It's really important for all muscular movement to have these electrolytes. Electrolytes are just the negative and positive ions that are floating around in your blood that help the muscles flex and help all sorts of other nerve function and agility. It's very important uh, just all over. And you start cramping up if you don't have enough electrolytes. So what I like to drink is coconut water. I like coconut water and I like other additives, other electrolyte additives, which you can get over the counter. Emergency has a very good product uh, that is just electrolytes. It's a powder that you add to uh, a liter of Nalgene water or whatnot. And it's really important to be hydrated before, during, and after intensive workouts. It'll prevent injury. It'll make you more agile. It'll make you stronger. And it'll actually improve endurance and give you more energy. So very, very important. John, thank you so much for bringing up that point. Next time you have a workout, make sure that you're hydrating well with electrolytes and not just plain water. Try the coconut water. I love it. I think for any athlete, it's really hard to stay motivated, especially if you're doing one thing. I think you go through phases, and I think it's natural to have kind of a ebb and flow with the way your motivation is. But usually, I just get psyched about what's coming up. For example, 
I have the Vail World Cup in June, so I'm not full-on training for it yet, but, like, it's in the back of my head, and it's something that, like, will keep me psyched about going to the gym, and, you know, sometimes you just aren't psyched, and you just have to deal with it, and that's what makes a good athlete. Like, life's not always easy. You gotta try sometimes. (laughs) All right, great tips, guys. Uh, Hats off to you, Mike Bernardo. Unbelievable on the salmon ladder. We're going to have a link to it in our show notes. Everybody, please go to our show notes and check it out because it is one of the coolest things ever in the history of American Ninja Warrior, and I'm totally serious. I would put it up there with the accomplishment that that those guys did when they won it, and I know people would argue with me, but for me, I was just as impressed. In any event, here's some very interesting news. NBC Ninja Warrior, at NBC Ninja Warrior is an amazing new official resource for all things Ninja Warrior on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, at NBC Ninja Warrior. So go there, follow them. Everybody needs to go there and follow them immediately. Get all your Ninja Warrior tips and fix. And additionally, at ANW Nation, ANW Nation is another amazing resource on Instagram, Twitter, and their website is unbelievable. And, and the Wolfpack is contributing a weekly blog called Wolfpack Wednesdays, and it's really great. I mean, it's all kinds of tips, things that you won't necessarily find on the podcast or our website. And there's a lot of participation from all the other top ninjas and Matt and Akbar, and it's really, really cool. So follow them on Instagram and Twitter as well. So at NBC Ninja Warrior and at ANW Nation. Really cool stuff. So go give them a follow. We'll be back next week with a special episode. You guys are going to love it. It's Trivial Warfare. We've teamed up with this other amazing podcast to bring you an incredible trivia show, and it's going to be the Wolves versus the Wolves. It's going to be me and Megan Martin versus Brian Arnold and Ian Dory. Who's going to come out on top in this Trivial Warfare? You'll have to find out. Part one will be on the Wolfpack Ninja podcast, and part two will be on their podcast, the Trivial Warfare podcast. So give them a subscribe, a like, and rate them on iTunes. And thanks, guys. I'm the Ninja Doc Noah Kaufman for the rest of the Wolves. This is the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. See you next week. Thanks so much for joining the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. If you liked it, please tell a friend. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It would mean a lot. Remember to visit our website at www.wolfpackninjas.com and join us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Join us next time for another exciting episode with your favorite ninjas and informative health tips. I love the way you think, dude. I know. I can't believe you didn't give her a ring. How'd you ask her to marry you? Find the spot where you feel the most powerful and stay there, you know, and then just generate the force to take your your weight off of it for a second. Just move it as far as you need it to go. I love to serve. (laughs)